You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. I will be reading from Daniel 5, 1 through 9. It's on page 742 in your Bible, in the seat. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The Lord declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then the king, Belshazzar, was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. You can be seated now. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Glad. Glad to hear it. Well, we are in, obviously we're in Daniel chapter 5. We are... um, almost kind of to the halfway point of Daniel. If you're uh, visiting with us, if you're new, uh, we've just been going through the book of Daniel. Daniel, uh, I believe, speaks into a lot of what we're uh, experiencing in our culture and in our world, the crazy craziness that, that's happening in our world uh, on all levels, from, you know, from, from a pandemic to just politically, uh, just uh, around the world, the, the instability of, of nations. You know, it, it, Daniel, I believe, speaks into all of that on some level. And so that's why we're doing this sermon series. And, uh, and now we're in Daniel chapter 5, and it's not an easy passage to listen to. It's, it's, it's hard. Um, it's dealing with uh, something that I think hits all of us on, on some level when it comes to uh, just our relationship with God. There are, you know, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? So the third commandment in the Ten Commandments is, is this, that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know, what does that mean, right? So just, as I kind of use this to segue into Daniel chapter 5, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? The NIV Another translation, uh, I think, I think it, it gets it a, a little better in terms of trans, translating this verse. In the Lord will not hold anyone, shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. 
for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. To take the Lord's name in vain is to misuse it. Now, here's what I want to say at the, just at the beginning of this, of this message. We were made in the image of God. Every single one of you in this room bears the image of the living God. Every, we, we, we bear his image. We were made to know him. We were made to, to worship him. We bear the image of the living God. And, uh, and to misuse the name of, of the Lord our God, to, to take his name in vain, is, is not just to throw his name in with a curse word like God or Jesus in a, in a way that dis, dishonors who he is. It is to misuse the name of the Lord our God is to misuse his image. It's to live our lives in a way that goes against his standard. That's how you misuse the name of God. Belshazzar uh, misused the name of God with his life. His, uh, those who had come before him misused the name of God. Even though they didn't worship him, didn't know of him, they misused his name. With this nature, every single human being born in this world is born with this nature to sin, and, and it is our nature from the moment of birth to misuse the Lord's name. In fact, not just that, we, we, it, is our, we, it is our tendency, we gravitate towards this, it is our, uh, this, this broken nature about us to break, every, uh, to break every one of the Lord's commandments. We have a tendency to do that. We do that. We're guilty, all of us. And so Belshazzar uh, misused the name of God. So what I want to do is I just want to, just in my sermon, I want to I do two things. I want to focus on Belshazzar for a moment, and then I will focus on, on just why what he did was really bad. That Baptist part of me wanted to use a, you know, words that, that had the same letter in them, that began with the same letter. So I, my first point is the hubris of Belshazzar. And so what do I mean by that? Well, it's a, actually, it's a good word. It's, it's more than just pride. It's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's this arrogant pride. It's like an in-your-face kind of uh, posture. And this guy was the son of of uh, Nebuchadnezzar 3.0, we talked about him last week. Uh, this this guy was 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 his son, and Nebuchadnezzar 3.0 was. Uh, I don't think he's dead at this point. I think he was driven from the kingdom. He's somewhere else, uh, and and so his his son is now on the throne, and his son, and the best way I can, uh, you know, or the best metaphor I can use to describe. Belshazzar, he's, he's the 30-year-old he's son still living in mom's basement playing video games. Like, that's, that's, that's him. Like he, didn't, like, he didn't earn the kingdom. He didn't conquer nations. He really did, did nothing to impress anybody with his life. So dad is away, and he's living in dad's home, and he decides to throw a party. And so in this party, he not only, had, I mean, it's a huge party, right? He's got like, he's got lords um, that he invited, and uh, there's a, at least a thousand of those guys, but not just that, uh, the other people that are in the party, and this is, it's deliberately, you know, 
put in the text for us because it's so weird that he would do this. Um, he, he, he also invited his wives and his concubines. N- not so that they can have a wine tasting, a wine tasting party. Like, this is not a wine tasting party. This is not crackers and cheese and fine wine. This is immorality um, across the board. This is, this, is, this is ugly. This is de- uh, dehumanizing for women. This is, this is bad. And, and so he throws this party, and um, he, he, said, he thinks to himself, well, hey, I know what we can do. We've got these, these uh, silver and gold vessels that, that, my for, you know, that my predecessor, so it wasn't related to uh, Nebuchadnezzar 2.0, but it was his predecessor. The, the ESV qu- uh, translates it father. It wasn't his father. It was his predecessor. It can be translated predecessor as well. Uh, so he says, I know. We'll take the, the vessels that were used in, in the temple that my predecessor d- just leveled, this is Solomon's temple, by the way. It's actually a really good diagram of it. Uh, and so what we'll do is we'll take the, the vessels that were used to worship the God of the Hebrew people, and we're going to use those vessels to get drunk by. Like, we're just going to put our wine in there, and we're going to drink, and we're going to do all kinds of stuff. That's what's going on here. What's going on in this passage is Belshazzar is, you know, thumbing his nose at the God of the Hebrew people, a God that he knew about. Like, remember, his dad in chapter 4 literally went insane for seven years. And his, his father's response to, to being humbled by the God of Daniel, the true God, Yahweh, uh, was, to, was, was praise. Remember last week? Like, he looked his eyes to heaven. This is... In, in your Bible, hopefully you have a Bible or you're using a digital device to, be, to track along with me, or a Bible that's underneath the seat. You can grab that and take that home with you if you don't have a Bible. But in chapter 4, at the, at the last part of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar 3.0 uh, just praises God. And he, he says, To him who lives forever, his dominion is an, is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And, then, um, and so Nebuchadnezzar, you know, in chapter 4, he, he you know, lifts up, elevates uh, Daniel. He honors the God of of Daniel, and his, but, but his son, Belshazzar, does no such thing. But he knew the story. He knew the history. And he didn't learn from it. So he throws this party, and he, he uses the sacred vessels that were used to worship the God of Daniel, and he, per, he, he, he perverts them. He, he turns it around to, to serve you know, his his own licentious desires. And in doing that, he dehumanizes his wives and his concubines before his lords. And, you know, to make a point, look look what I can do. I can use the stuff that my dad gave me to throw a party. And um, I don't think he was familiar with Israel's history, maybe he knew about David. 
I'm sure he knew about Solomon's temple that was, you know, that was destroyed by, by his predecessor. But, um, but I don't think he knew about Aaron. Aaron was a priest. He was Moses, kind of like Moses' right-hand guy. And, uh, and, and Aaron was set apart uh, as a priest along with the, the tribe of Levi to be priests before, you know, for, for God to mediate between God and the people of Israel and in their worship of Yahweh and their worship of God, God said, when you approach me, when you worship me, when you sacrifice these, these, these animals to atone for your sin, don't do it in a flippant way. You, you, there is a certain way that you are to do this because I am God, I am holy, and you represent me, creature, like we're the creature. We are the only creature on God's planet in creation that's in rebellion to our, to our creator. And so, so God prescribed this way of, uh, uh, this method of worshiping him. And Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, well, they decided, well, we know how dad worshiped Yahweh, but I think uh, what we'll do is we're just going to do our own thing. Like, I, I, know what, I, know, I know what we're told, but we're just, you know, we wanna, we're, we're just going to worship God our way. And so we're told that they offered unauthorized fire, a strange fire on the altar. I don't know exactly what that was. I don't know if they were, you know, if, if it was charcoal fluid or whatever to light the fire. I, I don't know, but whatever it was, it was... It was, uh, it, it was flippant, and it was t in total disregard of who God is and, and was. And so we're told in that story that, um, that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, did Aaron say, you know, respond in a way that said, why? Like, why would God do that? I, I've, I've committed my life to worshiping God. I, I've left everything to worship God. I've raised my kids up to worship God. I mean, they were going to take over the role of priests in, in, in my place, and now this? No, we're told that when Aaron heard about his sons, he held his peace, meaning he, he just remained quiet. Why? Because he understood what they did resulted in their death, like they deserved it. They approached God in a flippant way. I don't think Belshazzar was familiar with that story. I don't think he was familiar with the story uh, of David. Maybe he heard of David, but I don't, th I don't think he knew the details of, of, of when David uh, rescued the, the Ark of the Covenant, which had the commandments of the Lord in them. It was, it was you know, Aaron was told to, that when you handle the Ark of the Covenant, you are to treat it as holy. There are only, the, the only people who are allowed to touch it are the Levites. Don't think Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, when I mention uh, the Ark of the Covenant, some of you may have not even seen Raiders of the, Ark, the Lost Ark. I'm sorry. But, but like, don't think that. It is, but, but in mishandling it, it would be very dangerous. And so David, he knew better, so he, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and uh, he did it with a parade, and he, but he put the ark on a cart. It was supposed to be carried by people of the Levitical priesthood. They didn't do that. And as they were moving the ark, the, the ark kind of shift, or the, the, the cart shifted, and the ark looked like it was going to fall off. And this guy, Uzzah, who was close, close enough to the ark, 
believed that his hand was cleaner than the dirt, and so he used his hand to stabilize the ark, and we're told that he died. Like God killed him. Dead. I don't think Belshazzar knew that story. I don't think he, he, he really cared for that matter. I don't think he cared that, 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 that God demanded a, that when we come to him, we come to him knowing who it is that, we come, that we're coming to and, and that we come to him in reverent fear, like he is the God who spoke all galaxies into existence. He is holy, we are not. I don't think, I don't think Belshazzar was familiar with any of that. His dad had a close encounter with God on that level, and his dad's response was appropriate. I'm going to worship him. Nebuchadnezzar 2.0 had an encounter with God on multiple levels, and, and so his response was, I'm going to honor him. Belshazzar said, no, I'm, I'm going to take those sacred vessels, and I'm going to get, we're going to get drunk, and we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to have the greatest, awesome, most, the, the biggest party ever until God showed up which is my second point, the holy tolerance of God. You know, as the party continued, these fingers appeared. And his finger, uh, his hand appeared and, and, and started to write on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And we're told in verse 6 that the color, that his color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Um, so what did the king do? Well, in chapter 5, we're told, in, in, in verse 7, he called loudly you know, to, to, to get the, the professionals, the religious professionals, get, get them in here. They, they've got to interpret this for me. They've got to tell me what this means. And so uh, he, gets, he gets these, these religious professionals, the, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, uh, he, he gets them in there. This is the third time a king in, in Babylon felt the need to get the professionals in, the religious professionals of their gods to, to interpret only what God was able to, to interpret. And, and so he, he did this, and when they saw it, they said, we, we can't, we, we're, we're unable to do this. And so they proved yet again for the third time unuseful. Why? Because their gods are dead. <laughs> They don't exist. And so we're told that he was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Think about that. Like a thousand lords were there. Who knows what's going on with the wives and the concubines. The party was definitely you know, stopped. <laughs> uh, and they, you know, at least the king is very, very afraid. When Nebuchadnezzar 2.0 had his dream, we're told that he, troubled, he was troubled. When Belshazzar's father had his dream about going crazy, we're told that he was afraid. Belshazzar, though, was undone. And one commentator said, in the Aramaic, there's a play on words here, and really the point is, it's not that his knees were buckling or knocking together. He lost control of his, his, his bowels and his bladder. He, you know, he was that afraid. And so then something really crazy and weird happened. In verse 10, the queen appears. Now, just so you know the, just the context here, like when we, if you're not invited by the king to appear before the king, you just don't show up before the king. Um, but this is, 
This is queen. What, what queen? This is the mother queen. This is, this is probably Bel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar 2.0's wife that's in the kingdom at this point. And, and so she was uninvited. She heard the king, and maybe she was the, she, it's possible she was maybe the mother of, of Nebuchadnezzar 3.0 or maybe even his wife. I, I'm not sure. But she appeared in, in the king's presence, and, and she said to the king, she said, you know, don't, don't be alarmed. O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man. There's a man in the kingdom, in your kingdom, in whom the spirit of the holy gods uh, you know, dwells. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father or your predecessor, um, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, or, or, or Bel, Bel, I'm not even going to, just call him Daniel. <laughs> Uh, now let Daniel be called, and he will show you uh, the interpretation. It's interesting here is that Daniel is referred to as, as Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar 2.0. Uh, in chapter 4, he's referred to as uh, the name that was given to him by Nebuchadnezzar 2.0. So Daniel is brought in. The king says, okay, let's have him come in. So Daniel is brought in before the king. And uh, what I love about Daniel's exchange here, like his tone changes. It's a little different than than his interaction with Nebuchadnezzar 2.0 and his interaction with Nebuchadnezzar 3.0. It was as if, like, it, with those two guys, it, seemed like, it seems that Daniel really cared for those kings. But there's, there's something, something's shifted with Belshazzar like, uh, in, in the way Daniel responds to him. He, uh, so, so after Belshazzar says, you know, I've heard of you, Daniel, you, you, you know, uh, you, like all the other kings before me, they thought, you rocked, you were awesome, um, so can you interpret this dream? If you interpret this dream, I'll tell you what, I'll clothe you in purple, I'll put a gold chain around your neck, you will, you will look really good, and not only that, you'll be number three in command in all of the kingdom, in the empire. And this is what Daniel said in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. And give your, your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. And then before he even does that, this is what I love about this story, Daniel preaches to Belshazzar and, and all the lords that are, that are you know, there and the wives and the concubines. I mean, if you can think about it, like, like there's over a thousand people here. You could probably hear a pin drop. The king is completely hum humiliated. I mean, he just lost control of his bowels. And he's petrified. He's undone. And Daniel decides to preach a sermon before he interprets the, the, the handwriting on the wall. And he says this, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Verse 19. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, 
so that he uh, dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a, be- of a, of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and he was fed grass like an ox, and his body was, with the, was, was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, I love this part, in verse 22, he says, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and their concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which, is not, which do not see or hear or know. These are dead gods. They're idols that you've created, that your forefathers have created. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. He just sets the record straight before he interprets the writing that's on the wall. This was you. This is you, Belshazzar. You should have known. should have known better. God has tolerated your sin long enough. I think Daniel's response to the king is respectful but blunt. You know, there's a place for that. Like if I, if I ever, which I, well, I'm sure I'll never have the opportunity, but I, if I ever had the opportunity, I would, to sit before kings or presidents, I would hope that I would care more about the character of God and, and just speak plainly than, than to, uh, to boast that I had a presence with the king. Like Billy Graham was known for being in the presence of kings and presidents and rulers, just telling them what the gospel says, what the Bible says. Daniel did exactly that. He preached the sermon. And what was, well, what was Belshazzar's response? Well, Daniel told him exactly what was going to happen. He interprets the handwriting on the wall. He says, this is what it means. Um, so there's this language here. Uh, I will butcher it, but I'm going to go for it anyway. <laughs> many, many, Tekel and Parson. And then he interprets it. This is what it means. This is the interpretation. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the balance, in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That's what it means. And as Daniel was making known this handwriting on the wall, what it meant, the Medes and Persians were making their way, the Medes uh, were making their way into the Babylonian Empire. Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, even though Daniel didn't want it. A gold chain was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. It was Belshazzar's response to, to, to everything that Daniel just said, one of repentance? No. He's like, I, I still have ability. I have some ability here. I have some power here. Here, Daniel. Have this gold necklace. Uh, wear this 
this purple robe or this clothing. You're third in charge now. And we're told in verse 30 that at that very night, Belshazzar, the uh, Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. When I read this story, you know what I, you know what I read in this story? Is I read that, God's, that God is patient. That he, the, the, the Bible describes the patience of God as long-suffering. That, that um, like we even see it like with, with Israel and with, with, with Judah, like these, these kingdoms and, that make, made up Israel. God, for hundreds of years, warned them through prophets and, and through his word, if you don't repent, you will be judged. If you don't repent, you will be judged. And for hundreds of years, he, he put up with, with, with their idolatry and then he finally judged them and used Babylon to judge uh, Jerusalem and, and Judah as a southern kingdom. And here, like God, God had given Belshazzar uh, plenty enough time to repent. He grew up in his dad's home. He heard about how God humbled his father and, and, and how his father responded to, to God, and he didn't care. And I read this story, and I think to myself, man, we, on some level, on, on, at least on some level, we are all Belshazzar. We, some, on some level, at some point in our lives, maybe multiple points in our lives, we have, we have postured ourselves against the God of all creation. Like, I know what God has said, but I'm going to live the life I want to live. I'm going to live it my way. I don't care what he thinks about my lifestyle or my decisions. He's just going to have to put up with me. I know, I know what his word says about marriage. I know what his word says about you know, how I'm to treat my neighbor. I know what his word says about how I am to uh, live my life. But I'm just going to do it my way. Better than he does. We all, on some level, are like Belshazzar. Um... When, I, when we started this sermon series, I said that you know, Babylon as an empire was one of the greatest empires. I mean, it didn't last long, but it was, it was pretty impressive. But, there, you know, but we were told in scriptures that, I mean, Daniel you know, told Nebuchadnezzar 2.0 that, that, that his kingdom would one day end and that the Mede and Persian empire would take over. But there's, a, there's, a, there's the spirit of Babylon that continues today. Just turn on any news station, and it's right in front of your face. Some news stations may be a little more prominent <laughs> than others, but it's all there. You know, the politics of the previous administration and the current administration, spirit of Babylon on some level. What's happening in our world Russia, China, spirit of Babylon. We were promised in Daniel and throughout the Bible that one day the spirit of Babylon, Babylon in all of its demonic influence will be destroyed one day. It's going to happen. God's patience will run dry and he will say enough and the king of kings and lord of lords will appear, that's Jesus, we're told in Revelation chapter 1, when he does, all the kings of earth will wail on account of him. That's coming. 
Every single one of us will one day breathe our final breath and we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for the way we lived our lives. Every single one of us. Doesn't, doesn't matter what you believe about God, it, it's going to happen. Like I said before, you know, um, that bumper sticker coexists is, is dumb. Um, it makes no sense. I, I know the point that they're trying to make. This idea that all religions lead to the same God. Um, they think it means one thing. It really means quite another thing. Here's the truth behind that statement. All roads do lead to one God. Most of them, except for one, lead to him as judge. Only one way leads to him as Father, through Jesus Christ. One day we're going to breathe our last breath and we'll stand before God and we'll give an account for the way we live our lives. The question is, will you be weighed in the balance and will you be found wanting? All of us were definitely Belshazzar. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Spirit of Babylon. This is, <laughs> this is where we were. This is where we camped. This is where we lived. If you're a follower of Jesus, this was true of you at one point in your life. If you're not, this is still true of you. Like, like you're still a follower of the prince of the power of the air. But let's read this together. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like that was us. And some, whether watching the live stream, maybe you're here and you're, maybe you're still children of, like, a child of wrath. Like, like, like if you die today, you will stand before God as your judge not as your father. We're all that. I said at the beginning, we, we are the only creature on, in all of creation that is in rebellion against our creator. Your cat, if you have one, how many of you have cats? Wow, okay. Um, your cat, how many of you have dogs? Dogs. And your dog is not in rebellion against its creator. We are. I mean, wrap your mind around that one. Your cat is arrogant and thinks the world revolves around it. Your dog is happy just as long as it gets food, right? Your cat, if you have a cat and a dog, your cat probably looks at your dog and says, idiot. <laughs> you could have it so much better. Look at these humans. They, they just do everything I want them to do. Um, we, we are in rebellion against our creator. And, and, and we are all on some level Belshazzar. We are fallen. We are fallen. We were we made to know the God of all creation. We were made to worship him. Everything about us was made to know him. That's why our world is so jacked up. I mean, the reason why we have suicide rates in our, in, our, in, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world, why those rates continue to climb, the reason why the world is in the mess that it is in, because we are a fallen species. We, we, are, 
We, we are not falling in line with the purpose that we were born for, and that purpose is to know the God of all creation. And when that is not in line, what happens is everything else is out of sync. That's why, that's why uh, St. Augustine said that, um, that, that, that our hearts are restless until our hearts find that it's rest in the God of all creation. You, you will never know contentment, peace, or happiness if you do not know the God who, in whose image you bear. So uh, this guy, uh, John Gerstner, preached a, uh, was invited to speak at this conference, and his assignment that he was given to speak at this Christian conference was the depravity of man. And so he gave his talk, and, and in that talk he, he um, equated or, or kind of uh, basically said something along the lines that men and women are like rats. And I don't know the exact context, but he was talking about just the depravity of man and just our fallenness, and, and we're like rats. Well, there was a question and answer time after his talk, and, and uh, one particular person was offended that he uh, basically said that men and women are, are um, you know, he compared men and women to rats. And so Gerstner responded to the offended person with these words. He says, I do apologize. I apologize profusely. The comparison was terribly unfair to the rats. And so, we are in rebellion against our Creator. One day, we're going to die. And I hope, and my assumption is that most of us in this room will die, and we will stand before God as our Father, and Jesus as our Advocate and Savior. The psalmist said in Psalm, or in Psalm 39, verse 4, said this. Let's read this together. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Let me know how fleeting I am. The spirit of Babylon one day will be destroyed. And with this short life that we have, we ought to live it with wisdom. Like what you do matters. And how you live your life, you either can live it in a way that misuses the name of the Lord our God or live your life in a way that honors the Lord our God. And I know this is hard to hear, but I mean, it's all throughout the Bible that God's patience does eventually run out. And he does judge not just the world, but he also judges his people. Now that judgment for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus will not lead to condemnation. But one day you will stand before the God of all creation and you will have to look Jesus in the eyes and give an account for the way you lived your life. You'll see his nail-pierced hands. You'll see the marks of the cross. And you will give an account. And the stuff that you did with your life that did not honor him will burn up. Nobody will, I mean, it's meaningless. And the stuff that you did do in his name will be, will be what matters. But at the end, you will give an account. I, this is real. Like Daniel chapter 5 happened in history. 
And the same God of Daniel chapter 5 is the God that is God over you today. And my, my, my appeal to you is that if there is sin that you're not willing to repent of or to turn from, and you're holding on to that, there will come a time where you will give an account for that. Sometimes, sometimes it will lead to death. I pleaded with my dad to repent of his sin, to repent of his affair. He didn't. And, and, and he thought two weeks before his death, I'm just going to continue to do what I'm going to do, and I'll just get by, and I'll survive, and, and, and it will be fine. Because God loves me too much to just maybe interfere. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know what one, in, what's going on in his mind. But two weeks later, took a, uh, he, he, he got into a bathtub, and he turned on the water, and he died. We need to take our sin seriously. Like, God doesn't take it lightly. Every time we sin and we dive back into the same sin and, and, and we're unwilling to repent of it, it's as if we're crucifying the Lord all over again. Hebrews chapter 6 is like we're putting up, hanging him up on the cross, naked and dying, and to open shame. And God takes that seriously. <clears throat> when we cel <clears throat> celebrate communion, we're remembering what Jesus did on the cross. Like he went to the cross for you and for me. Like he, when he went to the cross, all of your sin, every last drop of God's wrath that we deserve for our sin, Jesus drank on the cross. The stuff that, that, that you no longer struggle with and the sin that you're still holding on to as well as the sins that you have, um, will one day have victory over. Jesus said when we celebrate communion or, or Passover, this is just kind of like a snippet of what Passover was. I'm hoping next year we can celebrate Passover as a, church, as a church family. But on that night before Jesus went to the cross, he held up the bread and he said, this bread is my body. And every time you gather together and you, and you break this bread, I want you to remember that, that I was pierced for your transgressions, that I was nailed to the cross for your sins. And so when you gather together, I want you to remember that. And, by, and, and this is one way to remember that, is to eat the bread. So let's eat together. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. You want to know how you can stand before the God of all creation on the day that you breathe your last breath and are ushered into his presence and to know that when the scales of justice are weighed that you will not be found wanting? You, 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 it's because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that Jesus was enough. 
The Bible says that he stands at the right hand of God and he intercedes on our behalf. Then on your worst day and on your best day as a follower of Jesus, you don't need to do anything to get more righteousness because your righteousness is perfect because Jesus' righteousness is perfect. It is his righteousness that has become your righteousness. Jesus uh, held up the cup. <clears throat> it was one of uh, many cups that night that he held up, but this was special. He held it up and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And every time you gather together, I want you to remember that I am shedding my blood on your account. That, that in shedding my blood, I am making a way possible for you to, to have the issues of your heart addressed. It's called circumcision of the heart. I'm going to soften your heart. The prophet said that one day God will take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And that a new spirit he'll put in us. And he said, that's what I'm going to inaugurate. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to make possible when I go to the cross. So every time you gather together, I want you to remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's take and drink together. <clears throat> the greatest news in the universe is the gospel. If, if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you've been chasing after joy or chasing after contentment or chasing after satisfaction, the reason why those things have eluded you, those experiences have eluded you, is because you do not know Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, you are whole before the God of all creation and he is doing a work in you. And... Um, and it's something that is beautiful, and it includes suffering, and it includes pain, but he, he is a God who will not neglect you or forsake you. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a friend who will not turn his back on you. He is a God who holds you and will never let you go. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says this, that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Why is it by grace you've been saved? Because there's nothing that you're able to bring to God's table. It's all from him, all by him. And he raised us up with him and seated us, seated us up with, with, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, period. That is the gospel. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I implore you, I encourage you, I, I, I ask that you would just give your, your life to Jesus. You don't have to have all your theological questions answered, but you do need to reconcile that fact that Jesus lived the life you could never live. He died a death that you deserved, that I deserved, and on the third day he rose from the grave. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, and there's something in your life you're just holding on to and you've not been willing to let go, I would ask that before you leave here, you let it go. You, you, you just... Pray and ask and, and, and repent. Repent is not saying sorry. Repent includes saying sorry. Repentance is, I am sorry, and turning from your sin and never going back. Um,
Does that mean that every once in a while you might fall back into that? Probably will. But repentance is turning from it. I would encourage you to turn from it. If there is somebody in this room that you've, you know that you have offended, go to that person and ask for their forgiveness. If there's a person that offended you, go to that person and let them know that you forgive them. Or if there's somebody in your life that you need to talk to that you've offended or sinned against or wronged, make it right before the end of the day today. God takes sin seriously. So should we. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what you're doing in and through us, your people. Thank you for the greatest news in the universe because of the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. There is no condemnation for those of us whose faith rests in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.